Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have part two of our two-part series with Alan McEwen, the founder and CEO of Prosperity Advisors Group, who this year celebrates 30 years of business. Now, if you haven't heard part one, I highly, highly recommend that you go back and have a listen to that episode because there we kick off our discussion all about the secrets from the inside from Alan's 30 years experience at the coalface in dealing with clients who've been buying and selling businesses and indeed his own experience in acquisition for growth as prosperity has grown over time through methods such as acquisitions. And today we finish off this discussion in part two. In this second part of the series, we drive into some interesting areas relating to due diligence, some really useful tips on the deal itself, and also an interesting discussion about the role of advisors. So buckle in, here we go with our discussion with Alan. Alan, welcome back onto the Deal Room podcast. Thank you, Joanna. Pleasure to be with you. Brilliant. Okay. All right. So we whipped through one, two, and three in our part one of these two-part series. So what's the um, fourth area of insight you've had over these 30 years? People shouldn't underestimate the value in preparing an information memorandum. Mm. I've seen a number of businesses for sale on, you know, a couple of sets of financial statements and and an email or or two, Um, there's an opportunity to really showcase the financial value of a business and importantly, paint the blue sky that might exist for a potential purchaser or range of purchases. So it takes time, there's some cost involved, you'll need certainly some financial advice um, and so forth, but it's just... um, immeasurably improves the value that that, uh, Mm. businesses are sold for and also, importantly, shortens the process as well Mm. because purchasers will want to dig out all that information um, that's in the memorandum in any event. So why not spend the time, have it all there and and get the process moving? I think that's a really good point, um, Alan, because I do see, I I think buyers, well, like anything, um, buyers appreciate seeing preparation as well. So it's not just about making the whole process easier, as, uh, but it also uh, it portrays an organised approach. You know, buyers get a lot of uh, impression of the quality of the business as well from the quality of the uh, IM, I think. Don't you think? Absolutely. It, it goes to the culture of the organisation and the quality of those that are leading it. Mm. And is this something at Prosperity, do you prepare IMs for clients? Yes, or- yes, we do, absolutely. So the the uh, numbers involved are, are bread and butter. There needs to be a sound financial base, but also you know, thinking about the, the uh, uh, I guess, unrecorded assets that might exist in the business, and, and this is a really important thing, things that aren't necessarily on the balance sheet that, that might have business or financial value to a, a, a purchaser and you know, showcasing those within the information memorandum. 
Mm. Are there any examples that you can think of where you've seen this done really well? I think, again, the areas I touched on in, in part one, it's the uh, skills, specific skills of staff. It might be niche areas that you're involved in. It might be um, particular, uh, there might be government contracts that you hold that a purchaser might be able to to leverage from. It's really just sitting back and, and thinking about not just from your own internal view, but, but what could be of interest to to a purchaser or an acquirer. Yeah, brilliant. And and I guess then that leads on quite obviously to the next area of due diligence. I'm prob- I'm sure you've seen <laughs> lots of interesting interesting due diligence stories uh, over time. And and indeed, as advisors, this uh, this is where we can spend a lot of time. So, what some of the uh, tips and tricks that you have that you've seen over time in in the area of due diligence. So this is often where the the dueling financial advisors mm. get involved. Mm. Um, someone will prepare the the financials, and and you know, when we're acting for acquirers, you're wary of projections. Of course, that plenty of noughts on the top line. It, it's really what are the fundamentals um, or the chance of the, of that business reaching those projections. And the other thing that can be annoying too is overzealous addbacks, mm. where there's a net profit. And then potential seller just said, oh, that's not relevant. That's not relevant. It's, it's really just being you know, reasonable about addbacks and projections, I think, gets the process off on a good footing. Now, when uh, teams go in and, and doing their due diligence, it's what's not on the balance sheet or the profit and loss. It's certainly scrutinising what is there, but what unrecorded liabilities might exist, what things aren't on the balance sheet. And a classic we come across quite often is sick leave um, and that's in a situation where employees might be transferred to a new business rather than terminated and then mm. re-employed mm. those sick leave entitlements would transfer they're not normally uh, recorded on balance sheets but the whole, the whole transition with the employees and we've seen cases where they've had you know, long-term employees that have been with the business for 20 years or so with substantial liabilities mm. and it's not until that point was picked up that some allowance had to be made for um, you know, the, the, the potential use of that sick leave. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, a massive point that, that you know, if only discovered once the business transfers can can lead to a lot of issues. And I've heard the, well, you know, sure, Fred's got a long liability, but he's never sick. And mm. sure enough, as soon mm. as the business transferred, there's something unforeseen uh, mm. occurs. Mm. I guess over the 30 years in looking at this area of businesses, acquiring other businesses, what, what are things other than just the financial side from a due diligence perspective do you think that it's useful for business owners to be thinking about or looking at? So the uh, the numbers are the, the financial platform for the, the potential acquisition, but it's, but it's then what are the other aspects that, that really help you understand the value of the business? So the things that, that we try and look at are things like customer churn. Are they maintaining their, their customers? Have they got strong loyalty? Um, what's the the size of their customer base? Have they got one or two really large customers? Um, what's the chance of those customers leaving after a proposed purchase and, and so the goodwill going with it. I think mm. that's a that's a good number to understand yeah. and a good area to focus on. Things like if you're acquiring real estate in the business, really not not just the value, but things like, uh, as we often see, what was the prior use? We've had examples where there might have been a, a 
previous use as a service station. So there are all sorts of uh, potential remediation liabilities that sat with that site yeah, that didn't right. sit on a on a uh, balance sheet anywhere. But mm. if the purchaser wanted to develop it or sell it, then there'd be issues in that in remediating or allowing for that um, that issue. Mm. It's important to walk around and talk to the staff. So difficult for the purchaser to do. The investigating accountant or due diligence team, just the casual conversation you get, it's amazing what you pick up by the water cooler as to um, you know, the culture of the place or things that have happened or things that might alert you to, to various um, financial concerns. And the other piece is, um, as boring as it sounds, just flicking through the correspondence files, just letters you might uncover, um, found some really interesting stuff on a business that was recycling photocopying papers. So they were running it through the photocopy and on the obverse side of something in a correspondence file, there was evidence where there was a, a law issue underway that wasn't otherwise disclosed. So oh, my goodness, that's fabulous. <laughs> look, it's, it's opportunistic, but it's one of those things. It's just you know, walk around, kick the stones. Uh, it, it is just amazing you find when you take a, a slightly different view and stepping away from just what's presented in the balance sheet and profit and loss. Yeah, so it's really about getting in there in a big way, getting into the business. Um, and, and it's interesting because all of these things that you're talking about, you know, we're really looking at it from a buyer's perspective, but of course, it's just as relevant for sellers to be considering as well in terms of when they're readying the business for sale. What are all these things that they need to think about in terms of presenting a clean picture during due diligence to prospective buyers? Absolutely, Joanna, and the best practice is full disclosure. Yeah. Be upfront any issues involved because inevitably they will come out, even if it's post-sale and if there's any retentions or clawbacks, it will just make the situation very difficult if the vendor has, has tried to suppress something that the purchaser should have been aware of. Yeah. And and I guess also, you know, you're talking about some of these non-financial items, like, for example, customer churn. I, I guess, well, I guess it depends whether or not your organisation has good or poor customer churn. But if, if it has good, you, you know, a, a low customer churn number, then, then perhaps having some of those figures, because m- many organisations just don't have a handle on what that looks looks like in in a measurable, reportable way. So I guess perhaps what you're talking about here, if if a buyer is out looking for those things, then from a seller's perspective, that these are the sorts of things that you should be trying to get your head around in terms of being able to quantify the value or quantify these things so that you can form this, you know, add this to things like our information memorandum talking about the the benefits of um, buying the business. Running a business, let alone selling it, you should be focused on, you know, four or five key performance indicators, which should include some of these non-financial issues. So even if you're not selling, you should be have the systems and processes in place to understand these drivers of the business success. Mm. As we often say on the podcast, it's all about running your business in a sale-ready state. <laughs> Sa- sage advice. <laughs> okay, so that's due diligence. What, what's next on your list there, Alan? I think... The other thing for the purchasers as well is to um, you know, understand what they need to run this new new business, mm. and that's the you know post acquisition business planning. And there's plenty in this, but just one one recent example we saw on uh, someone who was new to the industry. It was a you know, vineyard purchase. There were water licenses attached, um, which was fine, and they 
they uh, verified that they were in existence, um, but then stopped to think, well, are those water licenses sufficient to be able to run a property of that size in these current drought conditions? So it's just, you know, thinking through and not just accepting at face value how things sit for the moment, but you know, really exploring what's necessary to, to run the business in the current environment or the future state in a, an emerged entity. Mm, that's a really good point. I love it. Okay. All right. So that's the area of due diligence. Um, what What's next, Alan? What other areas of insight have you gleaned? Now, if people have, have survived to this level, it's the deal. It's finally <laughs> getting down to, to the pointy end. And, uh, you know, for, for purchases, they're always looking for the opportunity where one and one makes three. And, and that's the ideal position for a seller to place themselves in as well, where they've got something where it's when it's added to someone else's business um, means that it's valued more than the, the sum of the parts. Mm. And the really interesting thing that we've seen is that quite often sellers can't see what that is. It's mm. just not on their radar. They don't understand the breadth of, of the purchaser's business, the synergies they may may able to introduce, the other things they're able to um, you know, extract from that business. So um, that's often where the the uh, you know the multiple of of uh, maintainable profits calculation of value um, may not always apply, and we've seen significant premiums paid above that where um, acquisitions have been made in the right circumstances. Mm. And that's where you know, an acquirer has been trying to break into a new niche, you know, um, mm. acquire new products, be able to, to sell existing products into new customers, um, develop a new geographical footprint and mm. so forth. Mm. Mm. Um, or, or indeed shore up a market. And I spoke before about uh, a client of ours that, you know, bought up all the supplies of a particular product nationally. I've also seen it on the other side where a client has sold um, – there used to be a lot of owner-operated uh, waste vehicles and there was a lot of consolidation going on some time ago and there were a number of players just trying to buy up market shares and paying uh, you know, significant premiums to what um, the value of that, that business is worth to you know, secure the market share. Mm-hmm. Any other examples? That, like, Is there anything that, that comes to mind if I was to ask you that that talks about how, how you've seen your clients do this really, really well, the one plus one equals three sort of concept. I think it's important to understand that the one plus one equals three exists so so you have an open mind about the value of your business. And that's not to set, you know, telephone book expectations, um, but just to, to understand that it could be out there. And often it comes up where you're just approached out of the blue. And that's probably um, where you'll regularly see that you've you know, you've been prominent in your industry, obviously doing well. You might have some of these particular things that an acquirer wants and they'll approach you um, with an offer for sale or ask you to submit an offer or, or so forth. Um, often there's there can be a strategic fundamental behind that that approach that can add a a premium to what would otherwise be the calculated value of your business. Mm, Absolutely. And I've seen a a great example uh, of that. I had a client, family business, um, running quite well and profitably, major player in the Australian market, uh, approached by um, an international business that wanted to move into Australia. So that's the premium opportunity. That that was the, the piece where there were few opportunities to acquire businesses to get that footprint and they're willing to pay a premium. Um, our client 
uh, was not particularly interested in selling and set what they thought was a high bar price, went through a long period and you know, to their credit, they stuck to the price. And that's the other thing to, to, to be firm. There was a, a very long period and this is a point we'll touch on shortly, but uh, the, the deal fatigue um, mm. just went on and on and on. Mm. Um, the purchaser flew our client to the US, wined and dined them, private mm. jet, the whole thing, um, got very close, got $2 million apart. Our client was very close to saying, well, okay, I'll meet you halfway, but didn't. And the purchaser agreed and you know, he got the you know, the, the forever price that he was looking for. Wow. Um, so, so again... It, and a private jet trip. <laughs> I guess it's a long story, but the things that come out of that is uh, you never know who's interested in your business. Yeah. You don't always understand what the premium is and sticking to your guns is an important strategy if, you know, you intend to stay in the business and it's appropriate to do so. They're, they're great points. And what do you think that they had done so well in the business that set them up for, for this for this offer? Had, is there a particular particular decisions that they've made along the way, particular ways that they were running the business that you think in hindsight would have probably been really clever? I think um, a well-run business, good market share, I think. Mm. So it was a that they weren't the dominant player, but but quite reasonable market share. So it was a good uh, entree into the Australian market for uh, this uh, this acquirer. Love it. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so what else about the deal, Alan? I think it's hard to say this as an accountant that um, <laughs> as a seller and certainly as, as a purchase, it's that need to get past the the number crunches sometime, sometimes, mm. particularly as a seller and often it'll be the hard ball, well, this is the multiple of profits and that's what it's worth. Mm. It's trying to get a dialogue with the acquiring a founder or CEO because they're the ones that really see and understand the blue sky if it exists. Mm. They know um, what they can do with your business if it's merged or acquired. Um, so, so I think that's that's important. Certainly, the due diligence and, and accounting valuation is an important part. But um, going back to the information memorandum, it's being able to articulate the non-financial aspects of the business that are of value, the blue sky, and how the acquirer will be able to maximise the value of that opportunity. And that's a conversation best had direct with the CEO or founder. Mm. And I guess it's, it can be really difficult. Some people find this area really difficult because there, there is no absolute invaluation. The value of a business is just what one party is willing to buy and the other party is willing to sell at, right? So, and that can be awfully difficult for people sometimes who feel they they need to be absolute you know they need an objective feeling of the absolute value well that that's right it's not about trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear um if there are, <laughs> if there are no uh, compelling additional benefits well there aren't any there's no yep. point just pegging a high price just to fly in the wind and see what happens mm. um, people will then often scoff and walk away and not not waste their time. So there has mm. to be, you know, some methodology or reasoning behind uh, why this business might have that additional additional value. Yep, love it. Okay, all right. So, and what else in the deal, um, Alan? Um, that one of the biggest killers, and you'd know this, Joanna, is deal fatigue. Oh yes. And um, you know, that can be used as a strategy by mm. uh, you know purchases just to wear down the uh, the vendor to to accept a, a lesser price mm. rise wary of the high ball indicative offer subject to due diligence mm. um, 
that indicative offer needs to be based on something. Uh, otherwise, I'll just, you know, it's like trying to sell a used car. Mm. So I'll come along and, you know, point out the scratches and rust and, um, and waste your time. That's yeah. effectively what will happen. Uh, so it's about, I'm say, if there is an indicative offer, well, what's that? What's the basis for that? And what will mean that that offer will move during the due diligence process? Deal fatigue, it's just such a good point, Alan. Uh, we see this all the time because I, I think M&A can be a really long process for people who aren't aware of, who haven't done it before. Uh, and, and it's not just that, it's also that a lot of attention is taken away from the business, both for the acquirers and for the sellers in the process itself. And it does, for someone who's not used to the process, you can easily walk down this path that becomes higher and higher in terms of emotion, <laughs> the more time, energy and expense has been put into it. And unfortunately, some players who know what they're doing play that. So uh, it's an absolutely brilliant point, I think. And it's being um, prepared, as we said before. When yeah. you're a vendor, your business is prepared. You've got the information memorandum. So you've got good advisors on on side. You've got the, uh, you know, uh, sales team that's going to be involved in the process and others that are going to continue to run the business. So yeah. you've thought about it. Yeah. Um, it's important that you continue to run the business because there might be earnouts attached to the end of it or you may not sell and it's business as usual. Yeah. Um, and I guess here's where, you, you know, I often um, talk about the benefit of having competitive tension at, at this point as well. If you've got two people, I mean, you know, buyers don't necessarily want to be um, mucking through the whole due diligence process if there's someone else that they think might be sitting there potentially about to buy it. But having other, having plan um, B, C and D there as well, I think is an important, <laughs> is an important element, you know, knowing where you're going to go to if this first deal doesn't come off for you, whether you're the acquirer or the seller. Competitive uh, tension is absolutely the best place for someone to, to put themselves in if they can achieve it. Mm. Okay, great. So what else do you have here in relation to the deal, Alan? So a lot of time is, is added in the detail. So the devil yep. is always in the detail. The heads of agreement can be put in place. Um, then other than your good self and aspect legal, who are terrific, Joanna, um, <laughs> there are others that, that can bog the process down and these arguments yeah. uh, come to fore. And, and I think yeah. the point to remember here is that everything has risk, absolutely, and it's you know, good advisors, advisors' role to inform you of the risk. Mm. But um, it, it's also their role to help you understand how you can mitigate that risk and mm. work through it. Mm. And not that it's necessarily a reason for the deal not to proceed, but what can we do in terms of, you know, warranties or earnouts or restraints or mm. guarantees to, to remove that risk from the purchaser's mind uh, yep. and enable the deal to go through. And and that's where things often get, get bogged down. There's a lot of, you know, shadows appear and things that may or may not happen. It's understanding or are they really material mm. or are they, you know, unlo very, very unlikely to happen but, but a possi vague possibility? Yeah, yeah absolutely 100% correct because I think the problem is um, where, wherever there's risk that is highlighted and obviously uh, your job as accountants, our job as lawyers is to identify where there is risk but I, I, I think that really always has to be couched in uh, in the commercial realities because I, I do see many instances where 
uh, people have gone to advisors and then gotten themselves into a real flurry, a highly, you know, overly emotional about risks that are, you know, unlikely to to occur and potentially can, you know, pull apart a what looks on the face of it to be a good deal, um, you know. So I, I completely agree with you. And look, as I tell people, my view is once the deal's agreed, it will take months to finally get the documents done and get to that that settlement period because of you know these potential issues that or considerations that that might come out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, good. All right. Well, we have talked about a lot today, but I guess it would be wrong of us not to finish this off by just talking perhaps about the role of advisors. So, in your wealth of experience, Alan, what what's your takeaways about, you know, both from the client side and from the advisor side? Because I think it's important to look at this from both perspectives as well. Yes, Joanna, from the client uh, perspective, as I said in, in part one, advisors, we sort of hold their hat and coat while the client's having the fight. Um, so we, we give advice, but but they're really in it. They're investing their money. They've got to make this, this successful. So it's important that, that the client make their own decisions. They take the advice, they listen to it. Um, but as we just said on the you know, risk uh, trade-off, they've got to work out what they can mitigate, what's really important, where the value lies in a deal. And that's tough, but that's that's the uh, skill that entrepreneurs possess and that's what, you know, brings value to, to business growth. Okay, great. Um, so, we've talked about the client perspective, but what about the advisor perspective? What do you think you've learned as an advisor? What What's the sage advice that you would give to um, accountants who, you know, are, are new in this, in this area? What's the sorts of things they should be thinking about? We all start off as technicians. We're uh, skilled accountants or lawyers, um, skilled in, the, in those areas and that's where we start and that's where we need to um, you know, begin in these processes and make sure those fundamentals are right. But the, the real value add is stepping back from that, stepping back from the technical aspects and the detail and looking at the, the bigger picture of the transaction. You know, mm. What's really happening here? Where's the client or purchaser's head space at in this transaction? How can we work through this to now facilitate what you know should be a good deal if people have, have got to the to the table. What are the really important things? How do we you know, streamline the process to, to get through this? Mm. Um, ha- as I again said in part one, having the confidence, this is probably one of the hardest things, to have the tough decisions with either your purchaser or, or the seller about value, about expectations, about warranties that they might be um, asking for in the deal, um, it's trying to give you know that that experienced um, sounding board on those issues that mm. will get them resolved and either allow the deal to move off or if it's not to be done well, people can mm. walk away and get on with things. Mm. Do you ever find that there's a hard line to tread between giving giving options and letting people make their own decisions versus giving advice? Because obviously, you know, you've been in this area a long time. I'm sure you probably have a really strong immediate ideas or reactions to opportunities that your clients are coming to you to talk about. How, how do you tread that line? So, I said earlier, it's not our money. It's not our decision. So, it is about providing options, but 
I'm certainly one for you know, proposing the better option mm. and pushing someone to think more about innovative ways of of getting through a scenario or or a hurdle. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's that that um, you know firm discussion and and getting client to think harder about it as well is really important and not just you know I've done my job I'll let them sort it out mm. uh, because you know it might be a twice in a lifetime um, thing for a client yeah. but we're dealing with it um, on a much more regular basis. Mm. And and I guess as my last question you, you know I, I have a client that I've been in contact with for like 12, 15 years that have sold their business and then, you know, I, I still keep in contact and hear where they're up to because I, I just, you know, some of the client stories that I've worked through have been so impactful to me and I love to hear what people what their lives looks like post-sale. Have there been, I, I guess, over your period in practice, have you ever been really impacted by stories of your clients or, or ever had that, you, you know, I, I, I guess any stories that you want to share with us about impactful relationships from clients that have worked through their business and then gotten to that point of sale? I think these sorts of transactions, there's high emotion. Yeah. Um, it's, I guess, like being at an auction, you know, people are nervous. Um, they either you know, want the asset or they don't want to pay too much for it. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of emotion. So when you're in that that team working closely to, together, you form those bonds um, that, that do last a long time. And particularly, you know, it's a bigger transaction that might be for a longer period, you're working late hours, you know, there's um, weekend calls and meetings and, um, it, it's a thrill of a chase experience that that does often bond you for life, and but a number of, of clients have become friends through that, and and, uh, and we're still in regular contact, and and many have retired, and we still share the odd reminiscence about the thrill of the chase <laughs> when we we get together and the things that occurred. Remember when we were right, right in the middle of uh, yeah 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 that that big deal. I, I, you know, I, I think it it's a really good point. It's why I love this area because there is so much uh, there is so much riding on it for people, but it really is a it's it's it really is a point of emotion because there's some big outcomes at the end of the day. But also the other reason why I really like it is because we deal with a lot of clients, which I'm sure you do, who go through hard times and. I just love to have these happy stories that I can relay to them because business can be hard, kind of, you know, and... <laughs> it, it is It is hard. It, it is hard. <laughs> People often say to me, you know, what's a good business to buy? Um, that's a pretty tough question. I mean, they're all difficult and those that look easy are made to look easy by very good operators. Yeah. And, so, so, and, I, and I say, you know, there are people doing well in all sorts of businesses. It's all to the operator. And you know how they they run and grow grow their business, and it is tough. It's often lonely, and that's why advisors form an important role, and why friendships emerge out of them because they can talk to you and I about things that they can't always talk to their even their family and and uh, you know staff and, and so forth about. So yeah, yeah. You, uh, you you share that uh, that important bond. 
And it, but it's also it's just so nice to um, I think to see when people have gone through the process, exited their business. You know, you spent years and years of hard labour building a business because it is hard labour, uh, and then getting to the end and selling it. But then having that that beautiful period of time where they can reflect on you know the the uh, the profits from their years of toil. I guess <laughs> for many, it is, it is their major or only. Or- you only got their home, but it's their major asset. It's their nest egg. It's their superannuation. Mm. So, so much rides on it for mm. getting, you know, that appropriate return for all the, the risks that they've taken over the period that they've owned it, the sleepless nights, you know, the time the, the customer went broke and, you know, put in a difficult position when the, you know, bank put the screws on. So many difficult things in running a business. Um, it, it's great to see them, you know, realise uh, a good return at the end of the day. Mm. I love hearing that because I think, uh, you know, we deal with lots of uh, advisors who sit on all, you know, on both sides of the transactions. But uh, what I find that is quite often lacking is that is that heart, you know, that real, real connection, that real care. Uh, and, you know, I think what you're talking about right now is is the essence. It's about that real empathy for your clients and understanding what a big what a big process this is uh, to them you know and as you say you know we might be we might have loads of these on our desk but for them this is this is their everything it's, it's a transaction it's um, fundamentally about numbers but there are people involved mm. so understanding the uh, feelings and headspace of those people are really important through the process and and hopefully you know, they both get a good outcome Someone acquires or merges a good business. Someone gets a good result and it's a win-win. Love it. Alan, I just want to say an absolutely massive thank you for uh, coming on to the Deal Room podcast um, in these episodes. Uh, Maybe if you can just remind our listeners, if they're interested in um, chatting to prosperity advisors, what is it that you provide and, and how can they find you? Thanks, Joanna. So, uh, prosperity.com.au is our website with contact details. We've got offices in Sydney, Newcastle and Brisbane, but of course, do work all around Australia. We predominantly look after business owner-operators, provide financial advice across a broad spectrum, particularly including um, wealth management advice to make sure that um, that hard-earned money is um, is well protected and also uh, works on its own as well as you have in the business. So feel free to contact me or any one of my partners. Brilliant. Wonderful. Now, if you are running on the beat as you're listening to uh, this episode or perhaps on your commute into work, then fear not. We have a link straight through to Prosperity Advisors in our show notes. So you'll be able to get in contact with um, Alan and the team there. Alan, can I just say a massive thank you? Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've absolutely loved it. Thanks, Joanna. I'm a fan of The Deal Room. Thanks for inviting me. Well, that's it for our two-part series, Secrets from the Inside, the top areas of insight from 30 years at the coalface with Alan McEwen. Now, don't forget, if you didn't listen to part one of this two-part series, I highly recommend that you go back and have a listen to that because in that episode, we talked a lot about how to evaluate your options and exit strategies, how to identify buyers and sellers in the market and the importance of doing that in a detailed way. 
And we also looked at building the value in a business. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, or if you would like to speak to one of Alan's team about gearing your own business up for sale or or perhaps driving down that path of acquisition yourself, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where we will link straight through to Prosperity Advisors Group. And on the Deal Room Podcast website, you will also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We have a number of great services that help businesses through the sale and acquisition process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. Well, that's it for us. If you enjoyed what you heard today, then please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. But I really hope that you've enjoyed this two-part series just as much as I did recording it with Alan. I find Alan is an absolute wealth of knowledge, information and experience. And so I really hope that you've had as much fun listening to this as I had recording it with Alan. Well, that's it for me. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki at the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 